how the stress of reacting to something can be lifted with a little dose of paying attention on purpose. This is Don't Rush Me. Hey, I'm Maria Spear Alice, and I hate rushing. It never yields good things to rush, whether it's rushing to finish a client project or rushing to put on eyeliner. But when we have 10,000 things on our minds at any given moment, it's hard not to fall into that habit. I've had a lot of very specific technical training in my life, hello music school and law school, but none of that training prepared me for being a business owner, a lawyer, a wife, a mom, or really just a functional adult woman with a huge to-do list. I'm no guru, but I created Don't Rush Me as a way to talk more about the slow, simple tools you can start using today to make your life and business life a little easier. So whether you're a healer, a coach, or a business owner, a professional craving that slowdown, come with me as we learn about the small, easy things that can make a huge difference in your mind, body, or business. There is a wellness practice that's lumped under the label of, quote, new age that's been around for centuries, and that is mindfulness. But what is it? What does it do? And does it really work? Well, mindfulness often gets lumped in with meditation, but what it comes down to is this paying attention on purpose, noticing, getting curious. And according to my guest today, it is the secret tool you can start using today for stress management and more specifically, handling things that come up that you feel like you automatically react to, especially in the workplace, but really in all facets of life. My guest, by the way, is Rosa Castano. And like many others, Rosa's corporate career came to a halt when the pandemic forced her to pivot from the hospitality world to a world of wellness, wholeness, and mindfulness. The shift allowed her to take the time to reevaluate her career aspirations. As a certified meditation, mindfulness, and movement leader, she decided to combine her passion for well-being and experience in the corporate world to create stress management workshops and talks. Her unique understanding of the stressors and joys of the workplace makes her an ideal expert for working with companies to help implement strategies and lead workshops to help create resilience and emotional well-being in the workplace. I know you're going to love this conversation with Rosa. Before I get into my conversation with Rosa, here is a holistic somatic history lesson on CBD. CBD, otherwise known as cannabis oil, is a chemical compound found in the hemp plant, which is a variety of the cannabis species. It has a long history of use for various purposes. In terms of ancient uses, CBD has been utilized for its therapeutic properties for thousands of years, with evidence of its use dating back to ancient civilizations in Asia and the Middle East. In terms of modern medicine, in the mid-1940s, CBD was isolated and its chemical structure was identified. And since then, various studies have been conducted on its potential therapeutic properties, including use as an anti-inflammatory and treatment for various neurological conditions. And I'll drop a link to my source in the show notes. In recent years, obviously, the hemp industry has exploded with CBD becoming a popular ingredient in various wellness products, including oils, edibles, topicals, and other wellness products. In 2018, the U.S. passed the Farm Bill, which legalized hemp and hemp-derived products, including CBD, on a federal level. Today, CBD is used for a variety of purposes, 
including wellness, relaxation, and pain relief, and stress relief. It is also being studied for its potential therapeutic properties, including effects on anxiety, epilepsy, and other conditions. Hello, Rosa. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hello. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm so glad to have you here. Happy to be here. Rosa and I became Instagram friends, <laughs> and then we finally met up in person and became real life friends. <laughs> we did. We had a lot of um, crossover of just our different networks and people that we know and kind of, it's one of my favorite things when Instagram friends become friends in real life. Yes, for sure. One of the good parts of, about Instagram. Well, I would love for you to tell us, you know, who you serve, but also kind of your journey into what it is that you're doing today, where you started and and how you got to this point. Yes. So I will launch off with saying that I essentially lead well-being in the workplace for companies that want to support the emotional and mental health of their employees, specifically around stress management, cultivating resilience. I do a lot of training on mindful leadership, as, as well as goal setting and personal development. And it was a long, windy road to get there because I started in medical equipment sales. My background has always been sales. And that was the family business. I ended up leaving that business and started my journey in tourism and hospitality. I was senior director of sales for a startup. We built the business. And then it was time that I made the decision to leave that business to start somewhere else. And so it, my background has always been in sales. And then when the pandemic hit, my job position got eliminated because there was no hospital tourism that was happening here. And right. so no tourism, no need for a tourism department. And I was five months pregnant at the time. And so we did the pandemic pivot and I started to kind of, I always knew I wanted to own my own business and do my own thing. Um, my, like I said, I worked for a family business. My mom started that. And so, you know, owning your own business is always kind of, it wasn't, it wasn't such a far stretch for me to do that. And I had um, aspirations for that. But it was normal. You, at, were used to, you were used to the idea. Yeah. There was somebody who had trailblazed and I, and I saw people doing that. And so I uh, began to do some research. I was like, I know that I love um, wellness and well-being. On the side, I had done completed my yoga teacher training at Interlight. That was a yoga studio um, near the 12 South area. And then I ended up adding on meditation teacher training, but I started doing research and going, how can I, how can I combine all these things that I enjoy? I love the workplace. I love um, sales. I loved everything I did, but I also loved wellness and well-being. And I noticed when I was in the workplace that there was a, there was a lack of supporting employees and giving them the space to do that in general. And then when the pandemic hit, People were at home by themselves for the first time without the busy schedule, without the to-do list, without all these distractions. And it really did a number on people. Um, Anxiety, depression was at an all-time high. They were at home with their thoughts for the first time. And then I think a lot of them had a lot of introspective work and was like, who am I? Who am I outside of, of this? Because my story is not unique in that my job position was eliminated. And so many people feel their... Um, lives in their identity with what they do. And so when a part of your identity, we spend one third of our life at work, the other third is sleeping, the other third is with our family. So if one third of your life all of a sudden goes away, and that's your full identity, you're kind of left with an identity crisis. And I feel like that's a lot of what was happening. Um, and but what happens, you know, with a, when people are put into discomfort, that's when a lot of the growth happens. 
So I started to do research. How can I combine these two? And I was finding that well-being, and I hadn't even used that word well-being when I first, my first iteration of what I'm doing, um, was kept coming up, coming, coming up. And I was seeing that companies like Deloitte had in their C-suite level, chief well-being officer. That's I was awesome. like, there was like, there's something here. People wouldn't put these positions are these people in power, this position without it having studies and without um, seeing that it was truly impactful. And not everybody has the, um, the budget of Deloitte. So I was like, how can I start to help to mitigate and bring all of my things together? But I wanted to do it in a way that was really authentic to me. My, my wellness, my well-being, um, I, I joke about it being like corporate woo sometimes. And I, so I added specifically mindfulness-based stress reduction training onto the other aspects of what I do. So that way, one, I can take and pull from experience in the workplace and create a curriculum around that. But that has integration of things that are authentic to me, which are mindfulness, which are meditation. And teaching that to people on a really meet them where they're at level. And in a way that corporate America essentially can take it, digest it, and make sense of it and begin to kind of sprinkle a pathway that it doesn't look like, it doesn't have to look like how it's always been, that we don't have to wear burnout as a badge of honor, that the marker of success is not how full your schedule is, but the marker of success can be changed and shifted to what is your happiness level? What is your well being? What does your life look outside of work? Because again, it is such an important part of us. And, 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 you know, just to be completely candid, it's what we have to have to pay bills. That's just the society we live in. We can't pretend that, you know, I wish we could have a different kind of currency, but that's, that's not the case. So, you know, reality and, and, you know, I think about to our generation, I think it's a little bit younger than us, but our generation, I feel like sometimes gets such a bad rap on wanting to work and do this, but it might just be me and my confirmation bias, but my circle of influence and people, they want to work hard. And so it's to them, it, it is all about that. And I, but I want them to see and have this full life that they get to live. And so when I started to do these workshops, I created my curriculum and I was able to go in and, and work with leadership groups and companies were taking a chance on me, which I was so appreciative. And I got amazing feedback and testimonials and I was able to kind of really hone in on what I'm teaching. Um, people would come up to me afterwards and like, that was so wonderful. I'm so happy we have this new space, but I need more in my own personal life. And so that kind of, you know, ticked off another way to be like, okay, what avenue can I do that? And I know you and I talked in the past about, you know, okay, what does that look like for me to launch a course this way? So still working on that, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's been so much fun because I think stress is the foundation of how people really um, have the, uh, you know, barometer of their life, what is going on. And, and we've all experienced it. And it's a totally normal thing. But to me, it's how we manage it that makes all the difference. And my philosophy is kind of you have to be well in order to work well. You have to be well in order to live well. So that's kind of how my whole ethos is that I'm bringing into and helping teach and just low-hanging fruit, letting people see it. There's little ways that you can sprinkle it in. But you have to be open and receptive to it. And you have to be willing to do the work. And also um, push back a little bit on the status quo of what, what society has deemed as like the, the ideal life, I guess is the best way to say it. Or success, right? Or success. Yes. That, that marker of success. 
Really quick, I wanted to hop in and mention something. So you know that my journey with all of this mind, body, and business-related stuff started with a little mindfulness practice, a little a little pre-work routine, if you will, because I used to start my day from a place of, I've got to get everything on my list done, sit down and work from that tight emotional place to kind of setting the stage and setting the scene for my workday, lighting a candle, closing my eyes, all of that stuff. Well, I've put together a little free tool for you that will help you to create your own workday warm-up. So if you head to heysomaria.com, you can take a little quiz and you will leave that short quiz with a way to warm up your workday that's most authentic to you. Again, go to heysomaria.com. That's H-E-Y-S-O-Maria.com. Well, it sounds like you found a beautiful way to incorporate all of the things that you love and just like every, every step was built on itself, you know, growing up, learning that entrepreneurial thread and then your experience in corporate and all the mindfulness things you were learning and then just kind of putting them in a bowl and mixing them together. And now we have, you know, the Rosa cake. (laughs) It is, it is really one of those things that, you know, from the outside looking in, you're like, how? And if you know me, you know the journey and you hear the story, you see, like you just said, you see the thread of it and um, the people who I worked with in the workplace, um, my colleagues, um, they're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know, so that's at least the good part of it. It's not super far-fetched, but it, it was about kind of how can I merge all of these together and go forth and just out here trying to make it successful and impactful and just and reach people and businesses and showing them um, there is a, there is a way that we can do it. That doesn't have to be like how it always has been. Yeah. Well, something that you said really struck a chord with me, which is that the third, a third, a third. And I am so guilty of, you know, my work is a huge part of my identity. And I was fortunate enough, you know, I had already started my business during the pandemic. So it was like, all right, well, I've been working at home since I had my child and I'm just going to keep working at home. Mm-hmm. But what is your, what is your take or what is your opinion or advice to those of us who are, are who are business owners who are so passionate about what we do that we want to talk about it maybe all the time and, and, and kind of setting those boundaries of, okay, what's, a, what's a healthy relationship with our work look like? Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I have to practice with myself all the time a lot of times it's always like that practice, what you preach, right? I teach people whenever I will go into places and we're wanting to do networking or ice breaking things. It's, I encourage people, you have to introduce yourself, but you're not allowed to say what you do, what your title is or anything like that. It is a practice of making that a, an important part of our life, but not the main part of our life. And so it, it is, and it is a practice because so many times we're in networking, the very first thing is like, oh, who are you? Okay, what's your, what, do you, what do you do? Because you're constantly, at least for me, I'm constantly wanting to network. I'm like, where can I plug you in? Where can I be plugged in? Where can we find? And that's kind of how we bond over things. But um, it's important too to remember that you're a person first and that everybody is somebody, something, mother, daughter, sister, brother, aunt, uncle, grandmother, there's some way. So we connect people on that basic level and get to know people authentically first. 
then what we do will naturally progress into that way. Because I feel like most people, um, especially again, in my spirit influence and, you know, meeting you like have that serving heart and just want to help. And, and so it is part of that, you know, you can't, you want to jump in and be like, how can I help you? How can we do these things together? Um, but I struggle sometimes too. And again, I don't, I try not to talk about things that I'm not personally guilty of. And trust me, I'm guilty of a lot of things. So I have a lot of things. I have a lot of opinions. Um, but for example, whenever I am networking, I try, and it's a really intentional focus to listen when I'm introducing or someone's introducing myself or themselves to me and remembering their name. Because often I fall into this trap where I'm just trying to rem like remember how to say my own name correctly for some reason, as if I've never said my own <laughs> name before. But we focus so much on ourselves because and not not to, you know, our fault, but that's just each one of us. We are the center of our own universe. That's just kind of how it is. And so we always are very ego driven in that. And it's a practice too, just being intentional about who are you outside of what you do, getting to know people on just that basic human level and exploring that. But I think especially as small business owners, as entrepreneurs, as people who have that, it is so ingrained in our ethos and we have to be on and selling all the time that that is what often leads to that burnout because it's really nice sometimes just not talk about what we do and not talk about what we are and just say, tell me about, tell me about how is potty training going? <laughs> you know, just like, you know, collaborating on that level and just connecting on that level. Um, but it's a practice. And I think when you can be intentional about it and say, you know, this is what I do. This is who I serve. This is why I do it. But it is not my full, it's not my full um, personality because, you know, all of it can go away. And I think a lot of people, um, generation younger than us is, is um, potentially seeing that, that we see with this recession that people are saying or is coming is not coming but we're all kind of see it happening and there are some um industries that are recession proof but people are you know some a generation is being faced with that for the first time and um i think that is what from the mental health capacity uh, in stress and burnout when you have your own mission statement your own personal core values that you can lean back on that no matter what you do, what you create, it's going to be something that helps you be elevated, but it's not the only thing that's elevating your life. If that makes sense or answers your question. Yes, for sure. Um, having hobbies and and all of that seems like mm -hmm. it's important. Hobbies, too. yeah. <laughs> having things outside of that, you know, just, <laughs> just other things. And, 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 you know, to sprinkle in that little bit of mindfulness aspect into that, that is what makes life, I feel like, so fun, getting curious about the things. Naturally, we tend to gravitate. I was just having this discussion with somebody on an airplane randomly. Naturally, we gravitate the things that we are good at. Mm -hmm. um, and it's fun to just get curious and explore things that we're naturally not necessarily gifted at. So someone who is very um, athletically driven is maybe going to gear towards more athletic hobbies. But what if they would lean into maybe some musical things or creative aspects? Um, I have on my list personally, I would love to, as an adult, learn how to play the piano. 
Mm-hmm. I just don't have that extra little bit right now. Um, <laughs> I also don't have a piano, but I have like <laughs> in my head to have one. Um, but it's getting curious about those different things. And the mindfulness portion is just paying attention on purpose and getting curious and just being open to exploration and open to not being immediately good at things. As adults, I feel like we definitely tend to because at this point in our lives, we've pretty much mastered the things that we're doing. You know, we've mastered our business, we've mastered, you know, relationships, we've mastered, you know, do we ever master parenting? I don't know. But, um, <laughs> you know, we've mastered, we've mastered a lot of things in our life. And so when we're forced into discomfort to learn a new thing, that's where we start to be like, why did I, why am I making myself so uncomfortable? Mm-hmm, but it's, it's humbling. To to, yeah, I've taken up golf the last year and a half and talk about like humbling. As someone who grew up playing softball, and I was like, I was pretty decent at softball, but this is a whole other thing. And you're out there and you see people just out there doing it. And it's just, it's a fun thing to try something new. Yeah, for sure. And the exercise is a a different part of your brain. Mm -hmm. Um, I would love to hear more about the curiosity piece of mindfulness. And let's say, you know, we've talked about business a little bit, but just in like your day-to-day life. If someone is, I feel like our, the listeners are on varying, on a varying spectrum of mindfulness. Some might have a mindfulness practice at all. My yeah. mindfulness practice tends to be like, okay, before I sit down to work, like I'm going to do some stuff. <laughs> yeah. But, but talk about the curiosity piece of it, because to me, it's, it's starting to be aware, right? Mm-hmm. But, but I'd love to hear your, your thoughts. Yeah. So the way I like to bring in mindfulness too is a little bit of my yoga teacher training, which is an element of that beginner's mindset. So when I do a lot of trainings and workshops with corporate groups, especially leadership groups, I'll majority of them are usually in, in their industry for a very long time. And so I have them reflect on what was your first roles in the in the industry? You know, what was your first experience there? And so many have not even thought about that in years because again, you master, you master, you level up, you level up. But then there's always the people who are coming after them who are starting from zero. And so I love to have that beginner's mindset aspect into it. And the children, I have a two-year-old, two-and-a-half-year-old, she forces me into that in like the most beautiful way because everything's new to them. And to be able to find fascination in something that we take for granted all the time um, is just the most fun and to see joy in blowing bubbles, to see joy in, you know, watching the wind blow. To me, that is just such a great mindfulness practice because it brings you to that present moment and nobody will bring you to that present moment like children. And they are there. And that is essentially what mindfulness is. The Western definition is the act of paying attention on purpose and without judgment. Mm. My personal definition is creating that space between the action and the reaction. Thing happens, pause, react. And so when we give ourselves that opportunity to pause, whether it's sitting down, having a cup of coffee, to just pause for a moment, instead of just pouring it and just going on and rushing, 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 can you sit with it for a minute or two minutes and think and smell and be rooted in that present moment? That's why um, mindfulness meditations, they're so focused on breath. It brings you to that anchor because then you can focus on simply this breath in and this breath out. Mm -hmm. People who have had panic attacks, anxiety attacks, asthma attacks, 
they'll be the first ones to tell you that they have experienced lack of breath. And it's a terrifying thing because without lack of breath, we have lack of life. And so if we would just be a little bit intentional and bring some mindfulness to the breath, the something that is our life force is something that comes and goes so effortlessly that to me, it rides on that conscious and subconscious because it comes and go whether we ask for it, but we can't call upon it at any time to have more. We realize it's a tool and it's a free tool that we can use to help regulate our body. And then we start to engage that sympathetic, parasympathetic. And from there, we start to be able to manage our stress and regulate those cortisol levels and the hormones and that fight or flight. And to me, that's kind of what encompasses all of mindfulness and bringing into, which is why I kind of sneak it into all of my, my teachings, especially in the corporate world, because I'm like, it's, it's not this woo thing. It has been around for so long. And yet it's called new age when it's so <laughs> old. And the idea that now, thankfully, Western science is starting to integrate mindfulness. You know, if you have any sort of, you know, um, anything that will, you know, bring you into the hospital or into the doctor's office, they're usually like, lower your stress. You should practice mindfulness. Have you tried meditation? Simple practices, but simple doesn't mean easy. For sure. So to me, in a day-to-day, it looks like, finding those small moments that you can integrate the pause. And I love the way um, James Nestor, no, am I messing it up? The author of Atomic Habits. Mm. He is the word or the phrase habit stacking. And I love the way he phrased that because I always say we're already trying to do the most in life, right? We're trying to have a social life. We're trying to run a business or we're trying to succeed at our job or we're trying to eat, right? We're trying to get enough sleep. So when somebody says, but yes, but how's your mindfulness practice? You're like, listen, I don't have time for one more thing. And I'm like, this is where I love the idea of habit stacking because it's integrating something you're already doing. You know, example of cup of coffee, you're already drinking coffee or you're already drinking tea. How can you habit stack? How can you add a moment of mindfulness on top of that? Maybe it looks like when you're driving home from work or wherever to turn the music off and just having a moment where you just get to be fully present with yourself. To some, that sounds like anxiety inducing. They were like, I would rather go to the dentist than sit alone (laughs) with my thoughts. And um, it's just finding these little practices that you can bring yourself into that full present moment. Because our minds love to play in the past and fantasize about the future. Very rarely do they focus on that present moment. Um, In the workplace, that could look like when you're in a meeting, being fully in that meeting, not checking your phone, not seeing what else is going on. When someone is listening or when someone is speaking, practice active listening. It's really easy to pay attention when you're actually listening. And not letting the mind wander, but being like, what, I'm going to be fully present here. So it's little things throughout the day that where can I just pause? Where do I notice that my stress level is having peaks? Where can I help to manage that and bring it back down here? I love that you bring it to that pause because, gosh, we've had email for, I don't know how many years, 30 years. Oof. Um, but or personal or work emails or social, you know, social media, pick your poison. It's like, you can be blindsided by a something anytime you're checking mm-hmm. that. 
Um, it could be like a very nice, you know, scrolling session on Instagram and you see something that's just like, Oh yeah. And so there's your, your trigger, your thing. And so an email, same way. Um, so if we can remember to pause when something like that happens, instead of this, like urge to respond right away or fight it, or just kind of push against it. I think that's a really, really good first step that we can all start to think about, okay, how can I incorporate this pause instead of reacting? It's so hard. I come from a whole family of reactors. <laughs> I mean, it, and it is, and it's one of those things that once you know better, you can do better, but sometimes, and I feel like too, that's why a lot of people avoid the, the work, the introspective work, because when someone holds a mirror up to you, you're like, mm, don't, please don't see me like that. Right. But it's where we can grow. And again, I have so many bad habits that I have to really be intentional. I joke with people. So I'm an Enneagram 8. And I'm often, often very envious of my threes who are just like go-getters, like go do it and like just won't stop until they succeed. So eights have that similar energy, but I have to have systems in place because I cannot run off sheer determination and motivation alone. I have to put systems and processes in place to be able to help me reach my goals. And so to me, for example, um, we always have our phones nearby and I'm a big fan of brain breaks where you can just scroll and just let it be. But I have to give myself healthy boundaries. I have to set the timer for 10 minutes. I mean, like I'll allow myself a 10 minute brain break and go because if I don't, it's an hour has gone by. And then what happens is that I get frustrated myself and start to shame spiral. And that's where the judgment comes into play and be like, oh, I could have like, could have knocked out like three things then, but instead I just did this and like, that wasn't the best use of my time. Okay. That's where mindfulness is. Let it go. That's a thing that happened. Do better next time. Next time I do it for my brain break, set the timer. Same thing with like environment, laundry. It's always, why is it not, why is it nonstop? And again, Sometimes I do wish I was like type three or type one where I feel like everything would be pristine. I kid you not. It's not pristine. That laundry basket will sit in the laundry basket for maybe two days. And then finally, I will like ramp up the motivation to be able to go and fold it. And I was like, I'm just going to set my timer for 15 minutes. I'm just, I'm going to try to see as much as I can get done in 15 minutes. And then sure enough, it all goes and gets done. And then again, that shame spiral. If I would have just done this two days ago, I wouldn't have been sitting in this cluttered energy. So it's kind of where we have to constantly reset and restart, right? Release the judgment and just be like, it's a thing that's happened. It'll be fine. The world didn't end because the laundry sat there for two days. But those little practices along the way where how can I manage what I'm doing, but with intention. And then when it doesn't work out perfectly, not try to judge and shame spiral ourselves. Um, That's one of my favorite things because, you know, we're always our worst critic. And I tell people, I'm like, it's really hard to hurt my feelings because trust me, anything you said, I probably already said it to myself and probably worked. So I'm really good at hurting my own feelings, but it's a practice of, <laughs> exactly. But it's a practice of just like releasing that judgment of ourselves and just being like, maybe that was my best work. Maybe it wasn't, but it is whatever it was, it was and moving on. That's where releasing that and being in that present moment, not allowing our brains and minds to spiral down those rabbit holes and bringing it back here. Because we can't change the past. We can only impact the future. 
I can see this coming up in the food context too. You know, um, mm-hmm. I feel like it's a woman thing too, like being so hard on ourselves for having a cookie or whatever it is. It's like, just be mindful with what you're eating and don't judge yourself self and get into this shame spiral, as you said, about what just happened. Yeah. Or, or like avoiding it. If you want to eat the cookie, like eat the cookie, right? Because the more time you think about not eating the cookie, the more difficult it's going to be. But it's like, where do we integrate mindfulness? Maybe it's just one cookie instead of, you know, like 10 cookies, right? Right. There's a whole, yeah, diet culture too is like a whole nother spiral of going down um, the way it is designed. And it's, yeah, that's a whole nother topic. But yeah, (laughs) but I mean, it really is. It's allowing it being like, you know what? It is what it is. I'm going to reset and restart. But you can remind yourself that you can reset and restart at any time. It doesn't have to be like, oh, I have to wait till Monday or, oh, I have to wait until the first or the next quarter. Oh, I have to wait until the new month. Like you can make that conscious decision. Whatever your goal is, if you have fallen off the wagon, get back on at any time. But you have to make that conscious decision to be like, you know what? I can reset either in the next hour or I'll just wait till the next day. Let me set myself up for success to be able to create those systems to help my goals. Yeah. It's, it sounds like multitasking is like the poison dart to Oh, it's a, it's a fallacy. It, <laughs> it, you know, and I literally, I wrote a blog post on that and people were kind of like, what? I thought multitasking was good. And I was like, no, no. I, I Somebody was actually telling me these stats recently that I think only 6% of people can multitask. 4% of them are women and um, only like 2% can actually like do it well. And so that is another beautiful mindfulness practice of being in that moment. If you're working on an email, work on that email because what will end up happening is that you'll see another email that you think that has come in that you're waiting for a response. So you go and do that one. And then that happens two or three times. And then finally you come back to this initial email and you don't even remember what you were saying. Yep. And so that is the practice, right? Be fully present in the moment. Stop multitasking. Stay here. And as again, I can only generalize like what I speak from, but especially like as a mom and as a partner, I wish sometimes I had that like male brain that could just be like, I'm going to, I'm thirsty. I'm going to go get some water from the kitchen. No, I feel like as my brain works is that like, I'm thirsty. I'm going to go get my water from the kitchen. Oh, but I see that there's two dirty dishes. I knew that's exactly where you were going with that. And I'm also (laughs) going to go and bring there. And like, while I'm here, I've noticed that the dishwasher hasn't been empty. So I'm going to empty that dishwasher really quick. You know, and then 30 minutes later, you're like, why am I so thirsty? (laughs) Oh, because I haven't had any water that I initially, and it it, it is. And and it's such a, it's a funny thing. I feel like just the way that our brains work. And on one hand, in those capacities, I think it is beneficial, right? We're all going to the kitchen at the same time. But I do have to intentionally stop myself. If I'm working on decluttering my desk, for example, I have to constantly remind myself, this is the project that I'm doing. This is the project that I'm doing. Because it is so easy to go and do these things and be like, I'm just going to put a load of laundry in real quick. No, focus here on this and it will be completed. We think we're being more productive by trying to do all these things, but then we end up with like 15 different half-finished projects. And again, it's a practice. Ask my husband. He'll be like, you're out here talking to people about what they should do. Have you seen this? Stare? Have you seen this? On the <laughs> I know this about myself and I know this is why I teach this. And it's a practice for a reason. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's really good. Um, I would love just as a, a last little easy thing that people can do 
uh, to incorporate a little more mindfulness and you hinted on it um, earlier, but can you give us a, a bigger idea of what goes into like a tea ceremony or a cot, like mindfulness and your, your morning beverage of choice and mm-hmm. what, what it, what, what it could look like. Yeah. So the way that I kind of bring people through it is one audit. I do, I bring people through a stress audit of their lives, of their day, what a typical day looks like. And then from there, it's how can we create that space? So if we want to take your example of the morning, when you wake up, what time do you want to wake up? realistically and what is your morning intention do you reach for your phone first thing if you do can you maybe practice for one day a week not reaching for your phone first thing can you set aside five minutes making small goals to create sustainable habits for me is the key to sustainability to having those sustainable practices so can you set aside five minutes and that maybe looks like talking to, if you're in a relationship, talking to your partner, be like, hey, I just want to have this five minutes, just like sit, have it, please take the kids and or I'm going to go over here. But this is just going to be like my five minutes, me time. And as a parent, I know how, so five minutes doesn't sound like a lot, but also five, like sometimes to try to keep the children away for five minutes, it seems like 10 hours um, that they're like not doing that. So outsourcing help to be able to safeguard that space because ultimately no one is going to do it for you. No one's going to say, Hey, did you take care of yourself today? No, (laughs) we wish they were, but they wouldn't. And if you're not well, you can't be the best for other people. You can't be the best for yourself. And it's, and it's that, you know, age old, put your oxygen mask on first in the case of an emergency before you help others. And it's counterintuitive there because especially as moms, we are giving, 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 and we want to serve everybody else first. And we're often neglect our needs when in reality, it should be turned the opposite direction. We have to fill ourselves up first. And now don't hear what I'm not saying because I'm not. So we often hear the term selfish, right? And all of that capacity. And I don't know many moms who are truly selfish. So that five minutes that you advocate for yourself that you just need, I I just want to enjoy my coffee and just like deep breaths in, deep breaths out, enjoy being in this present moment. That's not selfish. That's setting your mind right. So that way you can take care of yourself so you can take care of others. And so it is building those little things around. And maybe you don't have that five minutes there and you're just like dancing in the chaos and it just looks like standing at the sink for a minute and breathing in and breathing out and being fully present in that moment and leaning in a little bit to that chaos and closing those eyes and saying, okay, I am hearing the sounds. How am I feeling in my body? I'm feeling the ground beneath me. I'm feeling the temperature and smelling this. I'm seeing it and kind of using that awareness and that grounding as a way to just have a little mindful moment. So it's a beautiful way to just how can I create these small practices to help us? That's so good. Thank you so much, Rosa. I, I think this is going to be a really incredible episode. And um, tell us where, where people can find you. Yes, my Instagram is just at wellbeingwithrosa. Um, and then my website is www.rosacastano.com. Thank you, Rosa. Thank you for having me. 
I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Rosa. I love Rosa. And I hope that you start to incorporate a little mindfulness into your day. And as a reminder, if you head to heysomaria.com, you can take a fun little quiz that I put together to help create your own customized workday warm-up, a little moment of mindfulness before you dive into your workday. And if you enjoyed this podcast, I would so, so appreciate if you would subscribe, rate, and review. It helps so much. Until next time. This episode was brought to you by The Legal Apothecary. Hey, that's my business. I'm a licensed attorney, and my practice is The Legal Apothecary, which is a female-forward holistic legal service for creative women that want to focus on growing their influence and their gifts. And part of The Legal Apothecary is The Legal Apothecary Library, where I sell easy-to-follow contract templates for you to use in your business. As a podcast listener, use code PODCAST for a 22% discount on any of the contract kits that you find in the Legal Apothecary Library. Link in the show notes.